Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hey everyone and welcome to you all. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show, the Andrew Lawton Show. Here on True North, it is Cabinet Shuffle Day. I know it is uh, something that should probably be at some point a statutory holiday. I know all of you will remember where you were on that fateful day in 2023. I think it's 20, it's 20, is it 2020? Yeah, it is. Okay. The last like four years has basically been so much of a blur. I have no idea when it is. I don't even know where I am. So uh, if you find me, rescue me. But uh, this is all going to be a day that will go down in the ages. You'll remember where you were when you learned that Marco Mendicino was out of cabinet. Not just him, also a few others, David Lametti and Omar Algabra, Mona Fortier, who one time was, if you can believe this, and if I can do it with a straight face, the Minister for Middle Class Prosperity, who never at any point during her tenure as Minister of Middle Class Prosperity thought it would be suitable to learn what the definition of middle class was. She gave that great answer where uh, it was like, well, uh, you know, people in the middle class know what it means and that's what matters so uh she's gone as is the minister of middle class prosperity that was like a relic that we went and did away with two or three shuffles ago now this has been justin trudeau's biggest shuffle yet and the thing about this is that it is not really going to change all that. I, my colleague Phil has just reminded me that we got rid of middle class prosperity, but we got Minister of Citizen Services. So if you are a citizen in need of servicing, there's now a minister for you, uh, whatever the Minister of Citizen Services is going to do. Shouldn't all government be like a Ministry of Citizen Service? I guess that's the whole point here, but it's supposed to be anyway. But uh, we are going to talk about a little bit about the cabinet changes we saw today, but I want to focus on the bigger picture, which is that it's easy to look at the list of ministers and say, oh, well, you know, Bill Blair went to defense and uh, this guy went to emergency preparedness and Anita Anand went from defense to uh, treasury board and all of these things, but, but it's less easy to look at this and say that none of it really matters, that this is not actually an issue that will change anything materially about the function or lack of functionality in this government. Now, what was interesting here is that it wasn't just about the shuffling of the deck, tear, deck chairs on the Titanic, so to speak. There were some pretty key promotions, some rookies. It's now a, a backbencher, Arif Varani, that went up to be the Minister of Justice. And then you had some pretty senior people who have been Trudeau loyalists for their time in cabinet that are now finding themselves relegated to the backbenches. And some of those did the whole face-saving exercise yesterday of saying, oh, it's because I'm not running again. That was Omar Algabra's line. But uh, some of them have not actually said whether they're running again. So Marco Mendicino, uh, assuming he manages to like find his way back to his office, which I think is a, a stroke of a, a stroke of luck every day if he does, uh, he hasn't actually done the whole I'm not running again thing. He just gave this statement this morning in which he talked about how grateful he was and how proud he was and how great Justin Trudeau is and how he did so much good stuff in cabinet and oh there we have the letter there if you haven't read through it all and you can't see it uh and you can't read it don't worry neither can marco but the thing about it that i would point out is that it's like the guy was fired 
and he's somehow been head faked into writing this letter about just how great it was and how honored he was and, and all of that when he was like the biggest embarrassment in the Trudeau cabinet who had to wear the Emergencies Act, the firearms file, Paul Bernardo, the Nova Scotia shooting, all of these things, every single one was bungled. And he was the guy at the helm. Like, I was convinced he was going to be the fall guy for the Emergencies Act. But unfortunately, Justin Trudeau managed to uh, hoodwink the media and many Canadians into being A-OK -okay with the Emergencies Act. So they didn't actually need a fall guy. But Marco Mendicino has finally left, as has uh, David Lametti, the guy who, as I mentioned yesterday, believes that the mentally ill should be given the ability to kill themselves with the state's assistance. Uh, he is now on the back benches. And to all of the departing cabinet ministers, we will once again give you the somber send-off we did on yesterday's show. Last time I added a repeat afterwards by singing along, and I believe our numbers tanked the longer I sang. So this time I'll uh, just let you hear the original version there. I want to give a, a little bit of an honest take on this. So I'll, I'll let you hear in Trudeau's own words how he rationalizes uh, why he fired the people he fired. And again, it's odd he doesn't even mention their names. Can you explain your decision to fire Marco Mendicino, Morna Forche, and David Lametti and remove them entirely from your cabinet? I want to thank uh, everyone who has served this country and this cabinet so well over the past uh, number of years. Um, this is a, a moment where putting forward the strongest possible team of, uh, with uh, fresh energy and a range of skills that are going to be able to continue the really important work of showing Canadians the positive and ambitious vision for the future that we're uh, so committed to and that I know Canadians need and deserve. I'm really excited about uh, the work we're doing and uh, quite frankly, we have uh, a huge team uh, in caucus and uh, across the country working really hard uh, to deliver for Canadians in all sorts of great ways. So the question was, why did you get rid of these three people? The answer is a drink water juice bottle box drink. Oh, no, sorry. That was a different answer. I sometimes get the meandering answers mixed up. Uh, the answer is that, well, we have a great team and we're going to put the good team forward. And this is the strongest possible team by which he means to say that all of the folks he got rid of, he believes were weak and were not part of the strong team that he believes he needs heading into the next election, which he it sounds like from earlier in those remarks is convinced will not be until 2025. So Trudeau is basically saying that he thinks he has enough to go on to stick around for the next two years. And uh, Jagmeet Singh, uh, once again today, is tweeting about all the failures of the liberals and conservatives. And it's like, it's my favorite running gag in Canadian politics when Jagmeet Singh is all indignant and says, oh man, how dare the liberals do this? It's like, yeah. If only there were someone who had literally with the snap of his fingers and an email to his caucus, the ability to change that. Jagmeet Singh is actually a guy. 
who could topple the government. I mean, some people say, oh, I should write a letter to the governor general or, oh, we should call an election and maybe Canadians will oust him. Like Jagmeet Singh could actually single-handedly take down the liberal government, at least single-handedly insofar as his ability to lead his party, which I, I think he probably could do. Uh, and he's like, just doesn't, know that or refuses to accept it because he knows that uh, he has his last kick of the can in the next election and then he will be done. So what do we have as far as highlights go in this new cabinet? Well, we have the new fisheries minister, uh, Diane Leboutier, who has decided to welcome in the job with a brilliant and incisive analysis a brilliant and incisive analysis of the role of fishing and fisheries in Canada. I can tell you that I like fish. Yeah. Well, if that is the position that our fisheries minister had, to be honest, actually, I don't want a fisheries minister who likes fish unless she means to eat them because like the, the animal rights uh, fisheries minister who likes fish, I mean, that seems to be antithetical to what fishing is all about. But that was her brilliant observation on the way in that she likes fish. Well, good, because, you know, if you had said, uh, you know, you like taxes, you might have to be stuck in national revenue where you were before. And then we have Yara Sachs. Now, Yara Sachs, a backbench member of parliament from the greater Toronto area that is now the Minister of Mental Health and Addictions. The Minister of Mental Health and Addictions. Now, I don't know a lot about Yara Sachs. In fact, I, I basically know one thing about her, which is the one thing that comes to mind when I hear her name. And this is a little bit of a reminder of what that thing is. How many guns need to be seized? How much vitriol do we have to see of Honk Honk, which is an acronym for Hail Hitler, do we need to see by these protesters on social media? Yes, the minister responsible for the mental health file in Canada who believes that honking your horn is synonymous with a proclamation for Hitler. Honk honk equals Heil Hitler, says Yara Sachs with a straight face. She is now responsible for uh, the mental health file, which is actually a, a very important file to me. And I, I hope that she manages to come up with a, a greater hit that is more substantive for the sake of those struggling with mental illness in this country. Uh, we have a, a few other changes here. I mean, you look at Pablo Rodriguez, the guy who I, I was talking about this yesterday, has just done such a bang up job on the heritage file that now he's decided uh, he wants to serve in the transport file. So Pablo Rodriguez is going to be taking over as Minister of Transport. Like, I can only fear that the next time you take an Air Canada flight from, I don't know, wherever, Toronto to Hong Kong or something, uh, the only options on the in-flight entertainment menu will be uh, diverse and or Canadian content. So you'll have to watch like Bon Cop, Bad Cop in English and French two or three times before you get to your destination because uh, that, that's going to be the only option you have with uh, the Pablo Rodriguez approach, the heritage turned transportation approach to government. Uh, and then you look at the people who are staying still. People like Stephen Gilbo remains as environment minister. People like Wilkinson uh, adds environment to natural resources. Uh, but basically there's some continuity there. Patty Haidu, uh, who did, again, just uh, such a phenomenal job as the health minister uh, who said border closures were racist before closing the borders. Uh, she is remaining in Indigenous services. Christian Freeland in finance, Melanie Jolie in foreign affairs, Francois-Philippe Champagne in innovation, and of course, Justin Trudeau remaining at 
the top. Justin Trudeau remaining as the prime minister, the first minister of his cabinet, which strikes me as though there won't be much of a change in focus at all. Such was Pierre Polyev's approach on this. He gave a bit of a response after Trudeau unveiled his cabinet. Here's a snippet of that. You know, it's funny. Justin Trudeau has fired a lot of ministers today, admitted his government is broken. But the ones he didn't fire? He didn't fire the Minister of Inflation, Christia Freeland, who's caught, who weeks after saying government deficits drive inflation, decided to introduce 60 billion more in government deficits. He didn't fire the Minister of the Carbon Tax, Stefan Gilbo, who wants to hit people with another 61 cents a liter. And he did not fire the one minister who is most responsible, the one minister who has presided over the, the record increase in costs, the doubling of housing prices, the growing crime and chaos in our street, the doubling of housing costs so that nobody can afford a place to live. That minister is the prime minister, and he needs to be fired and replaced with a new common sense conservative prime minister and that prime minister will be me so yes the point of this is that there may be some big changes we may see some big promotions there may be a lot to extrapolate about why certain people got the boot why the marco mandacinos and the omar al gabras and the david lametti's are out but at the end of the day, the most prominent people in this cabinet remain in place. Justin Trudeau remains in place. And it stands to reason that Justin Trudeau's agenda will remain in place with no real sense that anything is going to change there. Uh, Aaron Woodrick joins us now. He is the uh, guru on all things domestic policy at the McDonald Laurier Institute. Now, that's not actually how it's listed on his resume, at least not last time I checked. Uh, Aaron, good to talk to you as always. Thanks for coming on today. Always great to be here, Andrew. I mean, look, you've been around politics for a while. You know the game here. Uh, what are the reasons for a shuffle of this magnitude? Well, you know, especially what I call late stage government, any government that's getting into second term or later, um, you know, they need to put on a fresh face just because people are kind of getting sick and tired of them. Um, they want to present themselves as being able to, uh, you know, reform themselves, right? When the public, you saw polls today, there's a huge appetite for change, right? And this happens, you know, to every government after a certain amount of time, although I'd argue this government's uh, certainly speeding up the process more than, than, than other ones do. Um, so by presenting new people in cabinet, you can sort of at least superficially make the argument that, you know what, we're technically a new government. We have different people in charge. But as I think, uh, you know, Pierre Pauly just pointed out, really in our system of government, it's the prime minister that matters. People are associate the prime minister. He makes all the calls at the end of the day. He's the one who picks all of the cabinet, handpicks them. Um, so unless the prime minister is, the, is actually being changed, it's really hard to make the case that you've got a, a completely new government. Yeah, and, and you're right when you talk about the longevity of a government. I mean, Stephen Harper ran into this when he was running in 2015. When you've been there for, at that time, nine years, you don't really have much of an excuse for not having done something. I mean, theoretically, you may be responding to a new challenge that's popped up, and Harper had the refugee crisis, national security, stuff like that. But it's a lot easier to be in opposition when you can look at the government and say they're doing this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, this wrong. Uh, when you're a guy like now Justin Trudeau, who, who's been there for uh, eight years, potentially 10 years by the time the next election rolls around, it's very difficult for him to convincingly tell people he's going to do something when he's had, at that point, a decade in which he could have and should have done whatever that thing is. Sure, and look, uh, part of politics is just gravity. 
right? I mean, you're there for a long time. You pile up a lot of baggage. And, and you know, I, I've been a big critic of a, many, many things this government's done. But part of it is sort of the death of a thousand cuts, right? It, it just builds up over time. Um, and so governments, they, they see cabinet shuffles as a way to try and, again, I say superficially because, frankly, I don't think they matter very much. I mean, I was remarking to someone that, can anybody point to me, uh, historically, a cabinet shuffle that really changed the game, that had a, you know, a government that was tired and unpopular, and they shuffled some ministers and suddenly their fortunes reverse. I mean, it just doesn't happen. And part of that is because, you know, uh, folks like you and me and, and folks tuning in, we're the weirdos. We, we pay a lot of attention to politics. A lot of Canadians don't. They got busy lives. They could not name, pick out any of these people out of a police lineup. Maybe Christian Freeland. Uh, but the vast majority of these people, um, they just don't know who they are. And so I don't think it really uh, helps Justin Trudeau's fortunes uh, when he changes them. Yeah, and I would say generally are probably better off not needing to know because the more you learn about politics, the less sane and uh, less uh, convivial you are in my experience on these things. So I'll ask then about it in a bit of a different approach because, you know, we may see at some point in the next couple of weeks mandate letters for these ministers, mm. but are we expecting anything resembling a change in policy to go along with this? Because if we are just, you know, changing around the faces, but you're actually making no change to your overall agenda, it's really not that convincing a, a fresh face as you had put it earlier. Yeah, I mean, I think what's more important is going to be mandate letters because that signals what the prime minister wants. And at the end of the day, um, especially under this prime minister, and I would argue under Stephen Harper as well, you know, ministers are only going to be as effective as their boss lets them be. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it, it doesn't really matter how great you are. If Justin Trudeau puts you in a box and says you can only do these two things, you know, you're kind of limited in, in what you're able to do. One thing I thought was interesting um, was, the, was the assignment of Sean Fraser to housing. So this is, a, everybody knows housing is a, is a very important file. I, I think it is the main, going to be the main issue in the next election, um, if it isn't already. I think the Liberals are tuning into this late in the game. Um, I think they realize that if they don't take some major action on this, uh, Pierre Polyev is going to eat their lunch on housing. So, uh, you know, John Fraser's, uh, you know, by all accounts, been a pretty strong performer in cabinet. He's generally well liked. Um, so I, I think that giving him this portfolio um, is a sign that they're probably taking it more seriously. Yeah, and I think that's actually an important point as well that should factor into people's analysis on this is, you know, who the stronger communicators are when you're putting them on a certain file. And I mean, I was you know, making a few cracks at Pablo Rodriguez's expense, but this is not a guy who I'd say has been a particularly good messenger on Bill C-11 and Bill C-18. He has failed to understand, uh, either by obstinance or just by not being particularly transparent, he's failed to understand what his bill does. He's uh, flip-flopped on what it will do and all these internet regulations. And the fact that he's out of that file when the internet regulation file is still alive and well in Canada, I feel is actually quite noteworthy. Yeah, look, communications are obviously important to every government, very important to this government. In many cases, I would argue that from this government's point of view, the communications are the deliverable. You know, actually following through and delivering what you promise doesn't matter. It's the press conference and the messaging that they value most because that's where they get their political bang for the buck. And for, for uh, you know, Pablo Rodriguez, I mean, to be fair, it's you can, there's only so much lipstick you can put on a pig. And Bill C-18 is a pretty big pig. And uh, I don't know that there's any way to message that bill well because it's a terrible bill that is doing a lot of damage uh, to Canadian media. So, uh, yes, I think there are other files on things like housing where, you know, the Liberals are doing certain things. I don't think they're doing anywhere near enough um, on housing, but there are a few things they're doing that if they had better comms, they could probably get a little bit more credit for.
Now, you had pointed something out on Twitter earlier, which I found quite funny. It was, I, I don't know which TV network it was, but you were watching and they had this like bold observation about the new cabinet that they might, uh, you know, focus on the economy now. Yeah, they said, you know, new new cabinet to focus on economy. And I thought, well, what have they been doing for the last eight years? That's like right? a John I mean... Madden style, uh, you know, political commentary <laughs> there. Of like, oh, yeah, when the, the quarterback goes, that'll be a touchdown. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's a little bit. It just makes you think, you know, you've been there a long time. You would have thought they'd come around to the importance of the economy a little bit sooner than today. Yeah, so let's just be a little bit more forward-looking here. And I know that neither of us has the the crystal ball, but we've seen the poll numbers. I mean, Justin Trudeau can stand up there and talk about how everything is sunshine and roses. Christopher Freeland can go out and talk about, ooh, actually, inflation is doing really well right now. But Canadians are clearly not buying it, at least yeah. not at this moment in time in the snapshot and sample that was captured by the latest polls. I mean, what would the turnaround be? If you were advising Trudeau, I mean, I might not have you on, as much but uh, if you were what would the the message be on how to steer that ship in a, a better direction boy it's tough it would require a dramatic break from the past right and then this government has shown no capacity to do that i mean justin trudeau has been a prime minister who likes to spend in the bad times and spend in the good times and then spend some more for good measure that's one problem i mean there's just a, a colossal amount of money that's been going out the door for what i mean it, spending is up something in the range of 30 percent. i don't think most canadians believe they're getting 30 percent government services or have a 30 percent quicker commute or 30 percent better health care or any of these things so i I think there, there needs to be a big U-turn there. Uh, I think, you know, the interesting thing to me was by even having this shovel, uh, it signals to me that Justin Trudeau is definitely running in the next election, right? There's been a lot of talk about whether or not he's going to take a, a walk in the snow or I guess a walk in the sand because it's the summertime. I think the fact he had this shuffle suggests he's not going anywhere because why have this shuffle? Now, why try and reset and retool now if, he, if he's even thinking remotely of leaving um, you know, he would have just let the cabinet sit as it is. So the fact he's done this tells me he's going to be uh, prime minister when the next election is called, and it's going to be him versus Pierre Polyev uh, when the election is Yeah, and, and I, I think you're right about that. And I think that it's not necessarily wise to go in and try to assess what Justin Trudeau's mindset is on a particular issue. But I, I do feel that putting Anita Anand, who was by all accounts actually quite a capable defense minister in Treasury Board, which is certainly an important role to the functioning of government, but is a much less public facing role, has been a bit interesting because she was one that has been wildly rumored to be a, a potential leadership contender and not really tarnished in the way that Christian Freeland are and some other folks are by the Trudeau brand. So the fact that she's now being taken out of this I actually think is quite interesting. Yeah, one other observation I had of all the new faces that we see in cabinet, uh, they're all relatively low prof profile folks, right? These are mm -hmm. not the sort of high profile partisan attack dogs that folks will see on social media. I'm not going to name names, but people can probably can guess the MPs that we're talking about. I was actually pleasantly surprised to see that those folks were not the ones who were promoted. Right. Because there are some people who think that, you know, being a sort of partisan clown on Twitter all day is, is sort of, you know, doing doing a solid for the team. And that gets rewarded by putting these people in cabinet. But I think that would be a really perverse incentive. So I'm happy to see that for the new people they put in, these are relatively low key uh, MPs. They're not in there because they're like a big name or that they've been sort of like yeah. the role for you or ticking people off or sort of provoking anger from their opponents. Um, so, you know, uh, we'll see if these are folks that are just quietly competent and, you know, agree or disagree with this government. Whoever's in charge uh, on a given day, it's better that they be competent than, than not know what they're doing.
Yeah, fair enough. You're saying you didn't want Attorney General Mark Garrison, then I, I take. I'm that. not going to name any names, Andrew. You may. All think right. That. Well, you're far more diplomatic than I am. <laughs> uh, Aaron Woodrick from the McDonald Laurie Institute. Always a pleasure, Aaron. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I will say I did like a little uh, joking thing yesterday where when we learned that uh, what's his name or what's her name, Anita Anand was being shuffled out of defense. I like just plucked three random names and I said, you know, pick your next defense minister, Canada. And the options I gave were uh, Patty Haidu, Mark Garretson and Jennifer O'Connell. And uh, some people didn't know I was joking. That was the terrifying part. I mean, like one of those three would easily be doing a speech in which she'd be like, we need to talk less about Ukraine and more about we Ukraine. I've made that up, but that's like the type of thing that the people kind government would probably give us. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about this in uh, the closing moments of the show. And I suspect next week we'll have a bit more in the uh, sense of where things are going. But I, I want to talk about the uh, story that really piqued my interest at CBC, which I should say I do so you don't have to. I read CBC so that you don't have to. And I just deliver you stuff that I feel might rise to the level of being relevant or at least uh, relevant in the sense of, of being fodder for why the pledges to defund the CBC are increasingly compelling. This was a story that was like framed as though it was alerting us to the existence of some far-right, radical, Christian, cultist conspiracy of some kind. Breakaway believers warn PC party of dominionist religious movement. Now, I'm, you know, a religious person myself. I understand trends in the religious world and trends in the political world. And there were, they were using terms in this that I've really not been familiar with, like dominionist and the other one that they acronymed as NAR. I think it's like the, now I forget what it is, what it stands for, but it's like apostolic, there we go, the new apostolic reformation, which is kind of used more as a smear than anything else. But they talk about this a group of folks that have been assembling that are generally people of faith that have been mobilizing on a number of issues, particularly in New Brunswick, where right now people of faith, and I would point out people who are not at all connected to any religion, organized or otherwise, have been speaking up in support of parents' rights and in support of the New Brunswick government's defense of parental rights in school. And there was a photo that I thought was quite lovely from the Canadian Prophetic Council, which is one of the groups that has attracted the ire of CBC, uh, reenacting in front of the Lieutenant Governor's residence in Charlottetown, this famous photo that you may recall from 1864 in the lead up to Confederation. And Justin Trudeau should be very happy because unlike the original, we've got gender balance in this. We've got women represented, unlike those old sexist, misogynist, white supremacist, homophobe, uh, neo-Nazi fathers of confederation that Canada had. These ones are gender balanced and ethnically diverse. Do you think that would make Justin Trudeau and CBC happy? But nevertheless, they are not. And they've actually found a few religious dissidents to cast aspersions on this group and its motivation, saying they want to make a Canada that's unsafe for marginalized communities, which if you look at what they're doing is actually nowhere near what they're doing. But I wanted to get to the bottom of this. Uh, Fatine Griseski joins us. She is a fantastic television host and also the founder of a group that is um, very much name-checked in this. That is For My Canada. And I've had the great privilege of being on Fatine's show and it's lovely to have her back here as well. Fatine, good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on today. Hey, Andrew. Always a pleasure to chat with you. 
So just for context here, what is For My Canada and what is the Canadian Prophetic Council? Because a lot of people, I think, have only heard of these for the first time through the CBC lens, which uh, is through the CBC lens. Yeah, well, you know, it, it, and then there would be a good reason why people haven't heard of it, because we're actually not super, super active on, quote unquote, the national stage. So For My Canada, ironically... Uh, was a group that uh, we used to go down to the streets in Vancouver and give out food, give out chicken noodle soup and hot chocolate to uh, the poor and drug addicted on the corner of Maine and Hastings there. And it was during that time, this was like mid uh, 2000s, that uh, we just got this desire. Like I was not a political kid at all. My dad played NHL. I thought the senators were a hockey team. You know, I was so politically illiterate. But we just got this burden to begin to speak to our leaders about issues we cared about. And so I took this little band, we rented a minivan, we went across Canada and, you know, we were covered in lots of media at that time. The you know, Winnipeg Press, I think, covered us and uh, there were different periodicals. And, and we just booked meetings with members of parliament and senators and just talked to them about things that we cared about. And there was a wide range of things that we would chat about. We'd talk about human trafficking. We would talk about freedom of speech. You know, a lot of the things that we're still talking about today you know <laughs> in different capacities and that began uh this basically almost a decade-long journey where we just started bringing teams to parliament uh usually a couple times a year had over 1500 sit-down meetings with members of parliament and senators i met with justin trudeau in his office uh when he was very first elected and you know what he said to me right out of the gates andrew he said, let's talk about my Christian faith. That was that was his opening line, you know? <laughs> yeah, let's let's talk about it. I would actually accept that offer from him now if he you made know? it. And, and so I have to admit, though, we haven't been super active the last couple of years because those young people became older people and we have babies now and jobs and, you know, we've gotten a lot busier, but we still have an email list and we still push stuff out, you know, when we feel people in our network need to know about something and be given opportunity to take action. I'm all about civic engagement. I'm all about, you know, if you care about something, get involved. You know, that's why we worked with Joy Smith on our human trafficking uh, bills. And that's why I do my TV show, you know, cause I think I, there's a lot of stuff I care about. And so, you know, th that's basically the heart of it. In terms of the Canadian Prophetic Council, Honestly, it's pretty benign as well. It's just a group of leaders from across Canada, uh, some pastors, people that lead different kinds of ministries that usually about once a year, we kind of got shut down during COVID, but usually about once a year, we'll just come together and we'll just pray together and share hearts together about what we're feeling about the state of our nation and what we can do to be positive contributors. So it's really as simple as that. Yeah, and, and it's funny, and I, and I don't mean this to besmirch any of the work that you're doing, because I, I think it's wonderful, but this doesn't come up on any of the discussions that I have as, you know, being these like really top, really hyperactive and hyper influential political groups, because by your own definition, that's not really what you've strived to be. But the way CBC talks about it, it's that, you know, it's you and a few evil, scary Christians just like pulling the strings on the political system from behind the scenes. And I, I mean, it's like if, if you guys were running the show, we wouldn't be in the problems we're in right now as a country well who, who knows you know <laughs> <laughs> but uh 
You know, yeah, you're absolutely right. And like I said a few moments ago, I'm just all about civic engagement. So when I see something that that's happening and here I live in New Brunswick, we actually moved here. We were part of the COVID exodus out of Ontario, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, New Brunswick has had a, a real surge of people actually from Ontario and other parts of the nation. And, and so we're here just raising our family. We moved here uh, for community and, uh, you know, and then Premier Higgs, you know, he sticks his neck out on this uh, amendment to 713 saying, hey, we want to uh, ensure sure that things aren't being hidden from parents in terms of, you know, what's happening with their kids at school in terms of their uh, sexual health journey. Right. And so, you know, I was uh, talking. Uh Oh, we lost 18. See, this is what happens when you, uh, you know, get bill C 11 is that anytime something like this comes up, people all get suspicious that Justin Trudeau might be mucking around in the engine room. We'll uh, get 18 back on the show in just a moment here. But I, I want to just go back to the CBC article for a moment here. And, and the reason I, I want to is because the framing of this is that they talked to three people that used to be Christians that now are no longer Christians that really just take out their grievances on religion itself and their grievances on Christianity itself and Christian values and Christian communities. And then they use that as sort of their wedge to criticize the stuff that this group is doing. I mean, uh, the one woman in particular here, again, a, a former Christian who says that now all of the things that these folks are doing are, quote, making a really unsafe place for a lot of marginalized groups, especially queer people, especially trans people. I think we have uh, Fatine back with us, and we're uh, uh, sorry about that brief interruption, but we uh, have her back on the line now. Uh, Fatine, that, that's one of the big concerns I have here is that CBC is doing this thing that we often see from the media where they take former Christians, people that have had whatever their grievances are with the church, and they use them as sort of authorities on what the church represents. When a lot of the time, I mean, as we know, these stories come from a, a place of pain and any number of other issues that really have nothing to do with the subject matter. Yeah. And I, you know, my heart goes out to, to anyone that's been hurt by anyone, you know, and just to say that I'm not exactly sure uh, what's happened with each of the individuals that were interviewed. Uh, One of the individuals uh, did go to the same church that I went to. I'm not exactly sure all the stuff that might have happened there. I wasn't directly involved. Um, I did, you know, try to love on her in different ways that I could, but we, we were just really faint acquaintances, really, like I would see her on a Sunday or whatever. But I, I, you know, I, I think we should all uh, do whatever we can to make peace, right? Like the Bible does say that blessed are mm-hmm. the peacemakers. Um, and so I encourage people to pursue those that have been broken and and hurt in whatever way they have. But, but that's not what we're talking about here. Like what we're talking about here with the current situation is in New Brunswick is that parents have a concern. It's a legitimate concern. Our, our parents actually have an appreciation, a legitimate appreciation, and that's an appreciation for what Premier Higgs is doing. And they're seeing him getting beat up in the media, cabinet ministers falling off, the shakeup call for the leadership review. And so, you know, parents organize, you know, to support something that they appreciate in government. This has nothing to do with religion other than the fact that there might be a few of us that we happen to be Christian you know, in the mix. But we actually, after we kind of felt the sense that CBC was starting to go this way and others, uh, we actually put um, uh, a survey question on the petition and said, hey, just let us know what background you're from. You know, are you Jewish? Are you Muslim? Are you Christian? Are you from a secular background? And and I can verify now that there really is a cross-section of support. And so obviously, 
you know, it's disappointing to see the conversation kind of drug into the mud of um, what might even cross the line of religious discrimination, like coming at me for my faith. You know, it's like, man, this is nothing. What happened with these people really has nothing to do with me, though. My heart goes out to them, um, you know, but let's keep focus here because and I think if I could just say this, Andrew, like, please, um, I long for a day. I don't know about you, but I long for a day where we can just raise the water level of civil discourse in the media, where we can actually talk about the issues that Canadians care about, stop with the labeling, stop with the shaming. You know, I heard somebody say once that if I can label you, I don't have to listen to you. Hmm. And, you know, we've seen that time and time again. You know, we've seen that with, you know, I hate to say it, with Justin Trudeau, you know, calling people that disagreed with his management of COVID-19 racist, misogynistic, you know, a little Métis woman. You can't, like, how can you call a Métis woman? You know, but if I can label you, I don't have to listen to you, right? And that's, like, I just want to say, as media people, let's take it higher. Like, let's just stop with the labeling and, and go a little bit deeper with the listening. And I think that's what was really disappointing about this. But, hey, I'm keeping my eye on the goal. We're going to continue to encourage people to be a voice, sign the petition, and support Premier Higgs in what he's yeah. doing. No, you're, you're quite right about that, Fatine. I mean, it was confusing because the article was conflating two organizations, two movements. I mean, obviously, they, they share a common participant in you and, and by extension, really trying to muddle the discussion around an issue that has been tremendously unifying. I mean, the number of Canadians uh, that, as you note, not from religious backgrounds, and even if they are religious, not necessarily from evangelical Christian backgrounds, that are supporting what Blaine Higgs is doing, that are supporting, in general, this cause of parental rights, is massive. The governments that oppose this are in minorities, and certainly the media's narrative on this is in the minority. Yeah, yeah. And I would just go back to let's just do more more listening. And uh, there is an overwhelming this was actually one of the reasons that I felt to get involved in this because I thought, man, if plain Blaine Higgs, excuse me, Premier Higgs falls on this mountain, so to speak, this political mountain, it really will be an injustice to democracy because I really believe authentically he is representing the majority of parents. You know, I had one parent say, and I think it was Chris Austin that actually said this in the Legislative Assembly that, you know, parents, uh, you know, they, they need to sign off on, on if their kids go on a field trip, you know, if their, kid, if their kids go up the road to the zoo, you know, and to exclude parents from any part of their child's health and wellness journey at school, it just feels so counterintuitive for so many. And so um, I, you know, I just think we need to stay focused there. And, you know, it's unfortunate that some, you know, some people want to take it off of that, but I'm committed to keeping my focus here, Andrew. Well, I certainly wanted your voice to be out there to correct the record. You're doing a tremendous work on air and off. Uh, Fatine Graseski is the uh, host of Fatine TV, the founder of For My Canada. And it's been uh, my pleasure to be on your show, and I'm glad to, to repay the favor. Uh, thanks so much, Fatine. Thanks for your time, Andrew. All right. All the best to you. And I think we have to have a bigger discussion in this country about the relationship between faith and politics and faith groups and politics, uh, but also this other group that often gets left out, which is people that are motivated by values and motivated by what we might call religious principles or religious tenets, but don't identify as religious. Now, if you're, if you're talking about proselytizing, great. Yes. If you want to go after those people, do it. But if you're talking about building community, there are a lot of people that you would talk to on the street that would agree with a lot of what I would as a Christian say are, are Christian values, but they've reached that conclusion not because of faith necessarily or not knowingly 
because of faith. And, and this is why it, it's always so bizarre when the media tries to say, oh, this is just, you know, the religious right that cares about parental rights. Whereas, uh, well, actually, parents care about parental rights. And, and parents who are not Christians, who are not Muslims, not Jews, not Sikhs, not Hindus, uh, care about this. And parents who are those things often care about this. And that doesn't mean 100%, no. But uh, when you looked at those numbers that uh, our friends at Second Street put out a few months ago, it was the majority of Canadians across religious identification, across political identification, that supported the idea of what Blaine Higgs is doing in New Brunswick, which is to say that parental consent is required for a child to change their gender, which is, I think, a pretty commonplace, uncontroversial thing to say that's been cast as like this horrendous assault on marginalized groups, which is just absolutely baffling. So that does it for us for today. We'll be back on Friday with another edition of Canada's Most Irreverent Talk Show. We'll be delving in to C-18 and internet regulations in a bit more of a comprehensive and uh, perhaps educational way if you've not been following it really closely. But even if you have, hopefully you'll take something out of it. And then lots more True North content in the days and weeks and hopefully years to come as well. So that does it for me. Thank you. God bless and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.